News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Steve Stebbing is back with us. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. How are you? I'm great, thanks. You and I have said good morning to each other a few times, but it's always been on the shift at a very different yeah. time of the morning. So <laughs> here we are. Uh, at, 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 well, I was going to say at dawn, but in these short, short days, we're, we're way ahead of that yet. Steve, good to talk to you again. Do you have an all-time personal Steve Stebbing favorite Christmassy movie? Uh, see, I, and yeah, I do. Cause I, I, I like, you know, movies like Elf and, and, and Scrooge and everything. Cause I, I like the comedy side of it, but I, I'm a big guy for Die Hard. Like it's like, a, it's the yearly watch. Um, I kind of like the action side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also squeeze lethal weapon in there too, because that one takes place at Christmas as well. Um, Ah, so you, you're you're kind of uh, on the edgy side of Christmas. <laughs> the, yeah, the pack and, and I had the, pack and I iron kind my of Christmas. Side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but um, uh, what about the uh, the classics? Now, and um, we we were talking. I was talking with Emily earlier, and she's a big fan of things like Home Alone and Elf movies, mm-hmm. more recent movies from for that generation. Uh, uh, anything uh, stand out from from that? Because you like the comedies as well, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Home Alone is a big one because it hit at a time where, I mean, I was a kid at the time when it came out. So uh, the fact uh, of a kid being left in a giant mansion all by himself mm. at, at Christmas time was uh, enchanting, to say the least. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, Before we get to too far gone on the all-time Christmas favorites and holiday movies, uh, how about a couple of hints, Steve, if you would, please, about good flicks to see over the holidays? Not necessarily our old favorites. They'll be on TV, but it's really heartening, I find, to see commercials for new movies now uh, saying, in theaters only. Mm-hmm. And that's so good because some movies, the good movies, were, were made to be seen on heard on the big screen in that theater environment. And I guess the new Spider-Man is uh, basically just uh, got them all running to the movies. Box office is yeah. crazy on this one, isn't it? Yeah, I would say that's the easy choice right now is uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which I believe uh, to be my favorite Spider-Man film of all the Spider-Man films, just edging out uh, into the Spider-Verse. Uh, it just, uh, without, you know, touching at all in spoiler territory, okay. it's just satisfied on all levels. But uh, I would say if you're not uh, into the whole superhero game and, and want something uh, adult and well-written, uh, Guillermo del Toro's new film, Nightmare Alley, which is actually a remake of an old film, noir film from, I believe, the mid 40s. Uh, that he's remade that with just a huge cast, including uh, Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins. Like, and it just looks gorgeous and, and commands the screen. Great TV ads, and you're quite right. It's very, very much old Hollywood classic uh, looking uh, film. The old, really old school stuff. And and uh, well, Guillermo del Toro will he likes to keep you guessing, doesn't he? Absolutely, he. I think he is one of the uh, the the more old fashioned 
filmmakers that are that is working today. And I mean, it's been four years since he won an Academy Award for Shape of Water, so this is this is a long time coming. And there's another new one out uh, that you're kind of keen on, according to SteveStebbing.ca, and that's something called Red Rocket. Tell us about that quickly, Steve, please. Oh yeah. This is really great. It's uh, Simon, uh, sorry, not Simon Baker, Sean Baker. Sean Baker, yeah. Uh, writer, director, uh, who uh, makes the story about an ex-porn star, uh, uh, Mikey Saber, who is heading home to his small town, uh, Texas town, and uh, it's a town that doesn't really want him back or care that he's back Mm -hmm. and uh, rather than make a go of it he's just kind of finding his next scheme so he can get back to uh la and the porn scene there oh okay strange plot line but okay and one more if you don't mind tell us a little bit quickly about swan song uh yes uh mahershala ali uh, an actor that uh won two academy awards before we really knew how to pronounce his name correctly Mm -hmm. on a mass scale uh, he basically finds out uh, in the near future that he has a terminal disease, and rather than uh, tell his family, he decides to go through a controversial procedure to basically replace himself with like almost like an android version and uh, kind of the moral trappings of that. And, I mean, Mahershala is just, he, he has such gravitas on the screen uh, and this movie, uh, I mean, bring multiple boxes of Kleenex because it's, it's definitely a tearjerker. Interesting stuff. Back to the Christmas movies. You know, I did a, a Google search, Steve, about mm-hmm. the top selling uh, t- Christmas movies. And it's interesting because they certainly do reflect popular taste. But here they are in, in order. The Grinch, Home Alone, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Christmas Carol, The Polar Express, and Elf. Those are the top, I guess, multiple, and and one of them, I mean, they're into the millions and millions and millions of viewings and things, right? But The Grinch was way up there, top of the list. How about that? Did you expect that? I I mean, in which different version? Because I think there's been like four, three or four at this point. Yep. Uh, that's true, because there's, uh, uh, again, How the Grinch Stole Christmas was uh, uh, good enough to be uh, all by itself uh, in yeah. number three. So, And Home Alone, there you are again talking about that uh, that great old kid, the kid in the, in the mansion movie. Yeah, and it's funny because we just talked about it on the shift last night, and, and the guys were kind of uh, lukewarm almost on it. And I was like, I, I don't understand, guys. This is still a classic to me. Well, you know, and of course, there's a great Canadian cast in that movie, Catherine O'Hara as as the yeah. mom. I mean, she's still uh, people come up to her all over the world and, and start talking to her about Home Alone. Uh, absolutely, and I mean, it's that John Hughes connection uh, connection as well. Um, especially for a kid like me, like I revere everything that Batman wrote, and uh, I mean, he infused that with so much heart. And uh, it reflects through every line in it, even if it's uh, improv. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of movies that you will watch at your, because we don't uh, we don't go to the store and and bring home DVDs or cassettes anymore. We just download things from streaming sources. So when uh, when it, when push comes to shove in the stabbing household, and it's time to go, well, maybe going to spend five dollars and watch an old favorite. What are you going to watch? Uh, well, it's not really that old, probably five years old, but uh, I, I would definitely throw on something like Krampus, which is a little darker side of, uh, of Christmas, but it's uh, borrowing from, a, from, I believe, a, a Norwegian or a Finnish 
uh, tradition in which they have uh, the anti-Santa basically uh, trying to dispel the uh, anti-holiday cheer. And, uh, I mean, it's a creature feature uh, that it could play to to older kids because I think it's only PG-13 as well, but uh, just a fun ride of the film and, and kind of, um, just what you need at the holiday uh, holiday time in a, in a little different way. Well, okay. Well, you know, again, it's it's why there are so many movies. And, of course, here we are speaking about Christmas movies of all types from what has become, I think, Steve, North America's schmaltzy Christmas movie capital of the world <laughs> because that's where most of these movies, you know, the Hallmark series, mm-hmm. uh, they get made here in Vancouver and a lot of them in the summertime and a lot of them in Cloverdale. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they're they're really lavishly made. I have to say that they, they do a good job m- making them in as far as the aesthetic goes. But to be honest, it's really hard for me to make it through some of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in and, and my case, my classic every year, aside from A Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim, which is one of those, got to watch that late at night. I just love A Christmas Story. And Ralphie, at nine years mm-hmm. old, he wants that Red Rider range 200-shot BB gun. And, of course, you'll shoot your eyes out. And on and on it goes. Darren McGavin as the old man and the lamp with the leg. I mean, A Christmas Story is just, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's way up there on my list. And it's pretty funny too, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because um, Bob Clark, the guy that directed that one, he also, in 77, so like five, six years before, did another Christmas movie called Black Christmas with Margot Kidder, which was a horror film set in a sorority house. Oh, okay. Did not know that. So when uh, when you take polls among movie critics, the people that uh, who who get paid to see movies and write about them, what are the critics' choices, Steve? Because frequently they differed quite dramatically from popular choices. Yeah, I, I mean, you're not going to hear as many people uh, critics celebrating like stuff like the holiday or or. Uh, that Diane Keaton one from a few years ago, Love the Coopers. Like they seem to, uh, Hollywood seems to love to churn out these ones just with like a like a Christmassy template to them. But mm-hmm. I think it, it's something a little deeper um, that that uh, to get critics interested in everything. And uh, I, I think uh, a film like Elf probably had that in retrospect, though I, I think it was well reviewed at the time. Um, but I mean, we all, we, it just depends on the generation that you grew up in. A lot of people still gravitate towards it's a wonderful life and white Christmas and Christmas story and everything like that. But uh, I mean, generationally, I, I love Christmas stories. Like I, I grew up with that one. Yeah. Uh, again, home alone, I, home alone might be, uh, as, as far as meaningful, that one might be at the top. Hmm, interesting stuff. Steve, great to have you on the show this morning, especially with a short turnaround, having just been on the shift a few short hours ago. Very, uh, very, very resi- resilient of you to uh, take a few moments and wake up and do this with us again. Uh, enjoy Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, and thanks again for this this morning. 
Merry Christmas, Sterling. Um, it's a great story we have to tell you here on this Christmas Eve morning. It's a BC native winning an Alberta award for helping to find cost-effective ways to deliver internet service to off-grid remote communities. We have two guests to welcome to the program this morning. Barry Cavanaugh is the CEO of the Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals of Alberta, the group that granted the award, and the winner. Jacob Maxwell, winner of the Capstone Project of the Year Award, both joining us this morning. Barry and Jacob, good morning and Merry Christmas to both of you. Good morning, Sterling. Merry Christmas to you. Good morning, Sterling. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Barry, why don't we start with you? Because uh, we need to make one important distinction. We're talking about you're the CEO of the Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals. This is an award from your association. Tell us, please, in a, in a nutshell, if you can, Barry, the difference, the big difference between an engineer and an engineering technologist. Well, if you saw them in the workplace, you might not be able to tell the difference. Uh, the professional engineer usually is a graduate of a four-year Bachelor of Science program from a university, a Bachelor of Science in Engineering, and is registered to do professional engineering or original design work, um, higher-order mathematics, that sort of thing. Okay. The um, engineering technologist is a profession that really came about in the... I guess in the early 60s, engineering technicians had been working in firms, uh, working with uh, in professional engineers, and making it clear that a new profession seemed to be emerging. Now, what it is, I've often described it, and, and not everyone's happy when I say it, but they're practical engineers. They're the people who, in many respects, um, translate between the design of the professional engineer and the trades who are carrying out the results. Right. They're typically educated in a two-year two program in a polytechnic institute like BCIT or a college. And there are 21 disciplines, in Alberta at least, and uh, I guess it's best to say about 100 to 120 different occupations. Interesting stuff. Now, Barry, the Capstone Project of the Year is something that is a part of your group, the Alberta Science and Engineering rather Technology Professionals Association. This is your annual award, correct? That's right, and it's a big deal. Um, in 2017, it, it occurred to us, we'd been seeing some evidence of the Capstone Projects coming in. Students in the final year of their program are all required to work with others, and to demonstrate uh, what they've learned, essentially, and to, to show that they are using their knowledge. Those are part of their academic program. We asked the academic institutions, the polytechnics and colleges in Alberta, to take a look at the best ones and send us their two best uh, every year. So there's a maximum of eight finalists. Um, to, to even be a finalist is quite something. I bet, yeah. It's really remarkable. And the, pro the, the projects that we've seen are just astounding. And I, I have to tell you, this, this winner uh, deserves the, the kudos that go with that. All right. Let's talk so, to the winner. Uh, Jacob Maxwell, yeah. you're a BC guy. Where's home originally? Home for me is back on Salt Spring Island in the ah. Gulf Coast. Ah, Salt Spring Island guy. So what took you to Nate? How did you manage to skip over BCIT and SAIT and go all the way up to Edmonton? 
Well, I was working for approximately a decade out in Edmonton, and um, I decided it was time for a career shift. I really wanted to get into renewables, do something about climate change. Growing up on the West Coast really made me uh, appreciate the natural world, so I decided to get into something that would allow me to uh, interact with it and uh, protect it. All right. So now you and a group, uh, a group of teammates uh, managed to put together a cost effective way to deliver Internet to off grid remote communities. And you got to help me with this part, Jacob, because I know Elon Musk factors into the conversation about this point because you're using one of his companies uh, to provide the links. Correct. That is correct. So the Capstone uh, project concept was developing a wireless internet access system for off-grid remote communities anywhere in the world where internet access and even electrical power and utility internet are lacking. We used a wirelessly distributed Starlink-based solution with a custom-sized solar battery power supply for off-grid use. And so this is where Elon Musk's company comes in. Okay. Starlink is a major in-house project by SpaceX. It's a satellite mega constellation, an internet relay system in low Earth orbit that is a generational leap beyond current satellite internet competitors. Mm -hmm. And with a user terminal, you can effectively have broadband speed internet anywhere in the world. So we looked at this fascinating technology. The user terminal is a gateway to the internet, if you will, and then realized that combining this with a device called a wireless internet service provider you can provide internet access to a uh, approximately a town center 600 meters, uh, an area 600 meters in diameter uh, under ideal conditions um, with very low power requirements. So now the power requirements are, uh, and that has to be a consideration, doesn't it? Because in some of these communities, Jacob, these remote communities, not only is internet access uh, uh, almost a, 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 a fond wish, but also a constant power source is uh, an ongoing problem. So that complicated the delivery uh, capabilities that you were looking at. So you had to kind of do a workaround spotty power. What was your solution? Absolutely. So we built out and tested a concept uh, of uh, a, a solar system that was sized specifically to handle the power draw from both the wireless ISP components and Starlink. But that was difficult because the Starlink beta wasn't actually operational. The, the, the process, the beta process was when Starlink was in development, it had a limited range of access. And we couldn't get, a, even if we could get a unit, up in, at night, it wouldn't function. There were no satellites sure. to work with it at the time. So we had to take to the internet, uh, find people who were willing to help, and send them a device that could record the amount of power that Starlink was using. There was not a lot of uh, information about this. So again, so, Bruce, uh, this uh, again uh, is the sort of thing. Barry Kavanaugh, that you and the Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals celebrate on an annual basis, does the creativity involved in in uh, Jacob's project, uh, is, is it pretty consistent with the kind of ad-libbing, making it up, uh, innovation being uh, out of necessity kind of uh, results that you see on an annual basis with the Capstone Project? Oh, that's very true, Sterling. And what, what it represents for us is, in essence, what the whole profession of the engineering technologist is about. These are people who 
look at a problem and say, how does this work? How can I make this work? Yeah. And I think that that brings a lot. You have to recognize, too, and, and we like to recognize what goes on at our polytechnics and colleges. The quality of this education that these young people are getting is absolutely outstanding. What they bring to the community is beyond words, and they're around you everywhere. They're, they're keeping society working in a lot of ways. Chances are there's somebody in your building right now. I think that's probably a pretty safe bet, even on Christmas Eve. It's a big building. Uh, Jacob, uh, interestingly, you've managed to come up with a very innovative technological uh, platform that also rolls very nicely into a stated uh, commitment by the government of Canada right now with uh, in this spirit of reconciliation that uh, we're uh, living with these days. The government of Canada has very much come on side with uh, uh, getting greater access to the big bad outside world to every Canadian regardless of whether he, where he or she lives and some of them those people live in pretty darn remote communities. So you're really accomplishing several goals at once, aren't you? Yes. There are applications in Canada. Uh, in, in the sun-rich parts of the world, we approximate that our systems can cost between seven dollars to $10,000, which is far less than the cost of rolling out landline fiber and uh, electrical power delivery. Sure. In, as we get further north, the cost of the solar and battery power side of things is proportional to the shortest day or, more accurately, the longest night. Right. So it does get more difficult to the far extremes of the north to provide power with solar only. So we're looking at hybrid options for far north remote communities, but there is a great deal of application in Canada for this. Interesting stuff. So I was just going to say, I was going to add, because here we are on what is the day after the shortest day of the year. Not a lot of daylight in places like uh, Tuktoyuktuk this morning and not a, or, or throughout the day. So there, you're has to, there has to be some kind of hybrid uh, generator backup system for those parts of the year. But Jacob, uh, congratulations, first of all, to you and all of your teammates for winning this prestigious capstone project of the year award uh, and uh, continued success and to barry kavanaugh ceo of the association of science and engineering technology professionals of alberta a good choice barry and thanks very much for taking a few moments on christmas eve to uh, enlighten us as to what you're up to and the good work that some of your graduates are doing all over canada yeah thank you sterling and it's very true and what they're doing is so often focused on a social good, like the project Jacob and his compatriots have been under. Indeed. Barry, Merry Christmas, and thanks for this this morning. And Jacob, congratulations and Merry Christmas to you too, sir. Thank you again, Sterling. Well, this morning, the Government of Canada website features a snowfall warning, an Arctic outflow warning, and a special weather statement. Time to unpack the website, for which uh, we go to Lisa Irvin, a meteorologist for Environment and Climate Change Canada. Lisa, good morning. Merry Christmas to you. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. Well, uh, let's unpack this. We'll get to your favorite Christmas movie in a few minutes, but let's get to the business at hand here with all of these warnings. Which do you want to deal with first, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, we do have quite a bit of weather for today, Christmas Eve, Christmas, and, and Boxing Day. Mm -hmm. um, starting off with the snowfall warning okay. for today, that's to address uh, the snowfall that we're seeing across Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley, um, mainly impacting the commute this morning. 
Um, Now, snowfall amounts will be highly variable from neighbourhood to neighbourhood. So if you're out on the roads, expect uh, the potential for quickly changing conditions and a quick five centimetres that could lead to some pretty tricky travel conditions. Mm -hmm. And of course, we did have some overnight, but uh, that was anticipated. And did it turn out to be the accumulation that was expected or a little more or a little less, Lisa? Yeah, well, again, um, because of its highly variable nature across uh, the city, um, it, it is hard to track sure. exactly what's fallen. We've, we, you know, we've been looking at tweets to see uh, what's uh, what's been coming across uh, the city. But yeah, we did have a band of precipitation that kind of uh, spread right across Metro Vancouver in the overnight hours. And what's continuing now are sort of uh, smaller areas of snowfall, um, but that is leading to some quick accumulations. Okay, and then we're expecting all of this to be essentially rained away later this afternoon. Then. Yeah, so with the temperatures, we're expecting them to creep just above freezing for uh, this afternoon. That would mean if we uh, see more precipitation, it's more likely that it'll come down in the form of rain showers. Mm-hmm. However, I would not rule out uh, the chance to see some flurries uh, impacting the afternoon and afternoon commitment. Uh, commute, just in case we were to get, say, a heavier uh, patch of precipitation. You know, with temperatures fluctuating still just right around the freezing mark, um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Sure, I can tell you, I live in New Westminster, and this morning when I left my street, uh, the street itself was covered, not a lot, but it was completely covered. But as soon as I got to one of, any one of the main streets, uh, they were essentially a little, a little sloppy, but all the main streets were bare. Highway 1 was completely bare, wet, of course, but all the way in. So, This is the warning of the three, the snowfall warning, the Arctic outflow warning, and the special weather statement. This is the one I think, Lisa, that has most people concerned because it's it's the one they've been talking about most. And that's the Arctic outflow warning. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about how cold it's expected to get within, what, the next 48 hours right here. Yeah, exactly. So today we've got a high of plus three, but um, with the Arctic front moving through Saturday night, by the time we get to Sunday, our, our daytime highs are only going to reach minus 4, and our overnight lows dropping to minus 12, which puts it in the record-breaking territory. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sustains. Once it arrives, it just, it's not a, a flighty thing. It's here to stay for a while, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. We can expect these colder-than-normal temperatures right through to New Year. Wow. Okay, all next week. So now the special weather statement is now that first the snowfall warning and the Arctic outflow warning on the government website this morning, friends, are in red. However, the special weather statement is in a benign gray. Uh, Lisa, unpack that one for us this morning. Yeah, and and thank you so much for really highlighting the various warnings that are out there. Um, We're trying to bring attention to uh, the impactful weather that's expected over this next two or three day period. And so with the special weather statement, that is referring to just the overall pattern uh, from today right through the end of the weekend. So um, with the snowfall warning that's in effect, that will likely be taken down uh, later today. Like I said, as temperatures are, uh, are looking like we'll, we'll switch into sort of the, the positive temperatures, more likely for rain than snow. However, the looming threat of more snowfall for tonight, Saturday, and Sunday remains, and that's what the special weather statement talks to. 
Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And we should also point out this morning, just as a as an aside, uh, the Alex Fraser Bridge is closed right now. Has been closed since about uh, about an hour, and uh, it's maintenance and a few other things. Uh, these uh, and of course out there on the Port Man, Lisa, they've had the crews up there trying to clear all the cables. So when we do get this snow, as we had overnight, and a little bit more perhaps, we're not going to be dealing with snow bombs on cars over the bridge. That maintenance has in fact just been done. It's just been completed, hasn't it? Um, yeah, well, I'm, I I can't talk for the maintenance itself, but um, yeah, just with the weather that's set to continue for the next three days, that will be something to uh, to keep your eyes on um, if you're commuting over the next three days. Okay, so very cold temperatures on the way, and that will in fact start uh, tomorrow on Christmas Day. Does it start to cool off? Tomorrow will be slightly cooler temperatures than we see today, but really the, the true cool down the, that, that Arctic front moving through um, Howe Sound, Metro Vancouver, the rest of the Fraser Valley, that's set to to move through Saturday evening, okay. overnight into Sunday. So it's it's between Saturday and Sunday that we'll really notice that drop in temperature. It's going to be rather a nippy Boxing Day in and around this corner of Canada. So uh, Lisa, I can't let you go because everybody else is doing it on the show this morning. Um, what's your favorite Christmas movie? What to, what to, do you have to watch every year? Just just because it's Christmas and it really makes you feel good. Oh yeah, um, I I love this classic, uh, Home Alone. <laughs> Another fan, and uh, it, it just it, do you watch it more than once? Um, you know, like it, it really depends on uh, the, the various. Uh, sort of get-togethers throughout December, but mm. it, it at least makes the list once. Oh, good stuff. Well, it's, uh, given the uh, forecast here that you've uh, so graciously provided us with this morning, it looks like a lot of us are going to have a chance to, well, see our favorite movie more than once over the next uh, few days because it's going to be inside kind of weather. Lisa, thanks very much for this. Merry Christmas to you, and we do appreciate your time this morning. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks. But right now, it's time to check in with the folks at the Fraser Valley Angling Guides Association. These people have had a, a, a big role to play over the past few months with uh, evacuating people in the Fraser Valley impacted by floods, floods rather, and then their animals. And then uh, that we got back in the news with them rescuing a sturgeon stranded by the flood. They've been a terrific organization, volunteering, helping people out when they need it the most. So we thought we'd catch up with them on Christmas Eve to get the latest on what they're up to and another opportunity to say thanks. Kevin Estrada is back with us. Mr. Estrada is the director of the Fraser Valley Angle. Guides Association. Kevin, good morning and Merry Christmas. Sterling, Merry Christmas, and uh, thanks for having me back. Well, it's good to have you back. And before we uh, before we get to all the you know the details of, of uh, your organization, what about in the Estrada household, Kevin? What's your favorite Christmas movie? What what makes Christmas tick for you every year that you really just can't get through the season without seeing at least once? Oh well, I, I kind of go on. Uh, quite a few, actually. Home Alone has to be one of them. Okay. Thirty nine, and and that was a big one. Uh, uh, man, there's just so many. Uh, Elf is a classic with Will Ferrell. Okay. Um, you know, and The Grinch. I mean, with Jim Carrey, you can't uh, good Canadian boy. So, yeah, there's those. Those are three for sure that I watch with the kids, and uh, and uh, we start around 
mid-November, just, just amping it right uh, up. Just tuning it up. That's right. So, Kevin, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, because you and I have been talking on the radio now for many, many weeks, and of course you've been uh, speaking with Simi here on, on the morning show as well, uh, talking about the activities. Let's take us back to the to the to to that uh, atmospheric river, the terrible flooding situation in the valley, and there you were. All of a sudden, everything out there is under many feet of water, and you and your group, the Fraser Valley Angling Guides Association, and it needs to be pointed out, during this pandemic, uh, not a lot of financial intake for fishing guides because there's been no people to guide. Everybody's been shut down. You people have been, well, the airlines were shut down for a while. It's not been a very profitable past couple of years. And so despite that, when, when misfortune occurred here in our backyard, your group, jumped into action, Kevin, and uh, in an impressive way. What what got you started in the first place? Yeah, well, you know, you're right. The last couple of years have been pretty difficult for all of us, um, especially especially those in tourism, right? And and uh, and like you had mentioned, fishing kind of fell through the cracks on any financial help yep. uh, through the province or, or through the feds because, you know, a lot of us are sole proprietors, right? And so... Um, so that was that was part of it, and and I guess when we saw the you know the people were trapped in hope uh, for a few days, we 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 just thought, you know, who else is going to help help these people, right? And so, um, you know, I had actually been having a coffee with one of our members, Steve Ford, and uh, and and I said, should we just get the guys together and and go? And uh, so we sent an email out, and and right away, you know, there's so many guys. I mean, this is just our industry, right? Just right. The guys, kind of guys we have, and uh salt of the earth willing to help and and so um and so that was the first task of of many as you know but uh was getting over 100 people out of hope and so we 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 brought jet boats from uh chilliwack all the way to hope and drove them back and we had multiple drop-off points between chilliwack and mission so that was the beginning that was rescuing people stranded in hope and then of course it turned to the the flooding in your backyard in in the fraser valley and i remember one saturday morning quite early in the day i asked you well uh, you were describing what you were going to be doing that day and was it at back at the time when you were still really mostly rescuing people kevin and i asked you how many people how many boats on the water today and you said oh 15 this is at 7 30 in the morning and you were all set to go amazing stuff well, yeah, I mean, on any in the height of it, yeah, there was we had a, probably an average of about fifteen boats out, and uh, yeah, and and you had to coordinate, right? I mean, people, time of day doesn't matter. There's emergencies, sure. you just got to make it work. And so, you know, that coordination of of the early, you know, first two weeks was really important to have everything coordinated properly and efficiently. And myself and um, and one of our members, who's also our indigenous advisor, Dean Work. Uh, you know, he, he was helping with me coordinate the rest of the guys and, and it, and it worked out, uh, I mean, it was pretty flawless to be honest. Yeah. And and uh, you, you've been chronicling your activities on your Facebook page with lots of pictures, and you got uh, your MP Mark Strahl involved there with a, a big thank you from uh, his office and that sort of thing. And and I, as I recall, uh, a nice plug in the House of Commons. So yeah, uh, nothing yeah. nothing wrong with that. I also recall at the beginning of all of this, you again not the wealthiest group in the province were basically forking over big amounts of money for gas on your own to just be able to keep up to the jobs that you had volunteered to do you were hoping kevin that the province or somebody was going to step up and help you out with the gas tab did that ever happen 
<laughs> yes and no. Um, uh, EMBC did provide fuel for um, for a short period of time and then took it back. Uh, we're, you know, as 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 you know, we've had extreme costs, you know, with with running as much as we've been running in yeah. the cost of fuel, and so that was. You know, a lot of people in the community, there's a lot of leaders, uh, you know, business people in the community and individuals that have donated uh, to us to help with some of those costs. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we're on day, I don't even know what day we're on now, 40, 41, uh, and and we're still out there, right? I mean, part of this, part of what's going on is people forget because the highways get open and this and that, and they forget that there's, you know, anything that happened, right? So, um, so we, you know, first off, I'd like to thank obviously those that were able to donate, um, uh, to us and, uh, and help with some of those costs. But, uh, but to answer you financially, no, nothing from the province, the feds or from, uh, EMBC. That is disappointing. Uh, so you mentioned, uh, the, the work is ongoing. What's the, uh, what's priority number one on Christmas Eve morning for you, Kevin? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to be heading down to Barrowtown area uh, in the next couple hours. We've been doing sturgeon monitoring. Uh, we've rescued nine sturgeon. Uh, one big one made the, the, the news there. Um, that was a 12-footer, uh, wasn't it? Uh, well, no, it wasn't that big, but uh, fishermen might tell you that. <laughs> <a sturgeon. laughs> yeah, they do get longer no. by story, don't they? Yeah, they, they do, yeah. And so, uh, but it was a, it was a, it was a big fish, a couple hundred pounds, and, um, and so um, that one was rescued, but there was a lot around Barrowtown. And so what happened when is, is as it flooded, they went into the Sumas Slough and they went into surrounded farms and stuff. And so we've been we've got a, an action plan together, the you know, to monitor the situation. And that's water. Water's been holding right in some of these areas, yeah. dropping in some, but holding in others. And so we're just trying to do our best to uh, make sure that we find every every last fish that we can and get them back home. How about snow overnight, uh, Kevin? Is that uh, block, cramping your style at all this morning? Did you get much? Well, I'm up in the Ryder Lake area of Chilliwack, and our elevation's about 1,800 feet here, so we got lots. All bad, uh, yeah. Up here is is fine. Down in the valley, it, it's been um, it's okay. It's not it's not a big deal. Temperatures are going to drop here soon, which is going to make our angling por- portion of recovery a little bit more difficult but um but we're going to get out there and do what we can and i mean i one of the things is we can't lose focus on is that you know the the length of recovery um on on all of this right not just the fish but but on everything and and it's probably a good opportunity to enhance some habitat and and even possibly study some populations of, of fish so um so yeah, we're out here doing what we can, and uh, our scale of what we've been doing is lower, but we are still handing out flood kits to people that have been requesting. Those have been coming in from Global Medic out of Ontario, who right. do, Ontario, who do operations around the world, and so we're just helping still um, where we can uh, right now. All right. So now you, you talked about uh, receiving donations, people helping you out with fuel costs and just generally uh, the expense that goes with being a volunteer organization relying on uh, gas powered technology, among other things. Where do they go? Where, where can people go this morning, Kevin, being in a particularly Christmassy, generous spirit to help you out, to, to recognize the great work you and your team have done out there and maybe give you a couple of bucks to pay for some of that gas? Um, yeah, well, we, we're accepting e-transfers uh, just to our email, info at fbaga.com, and those are the letters for Fraser Valley Angling Guides Association. So info at fbaga.com, and, um, and yeah, anything is, is welcome, right? I mean, our, we're, we're, do- we're driving around trucks and, 
and uh, right now all over monitoring and, and it's taken up time and fuel and, uh, and, and costs It's still built up from what we had done over the last month, right? So um, I'd like to get uh, some of the, the guys reimbursed for what they had spent on fuel and, and we would appreciate any help that, uh, that comes our way. Yeah, hopefully the province will uh, see the light and to help you out as, as well. Uh, it's info at fvaga.com, correct, Kevin? Yeah, that's correct, yep. All right. Listen, uh, we do appreciate your time this morning. You're a busy guy and uh, always have been for the last 41 days, and yet you find a couple of moments for us. We do appreciate that. Please pass along our very warm wishes for a Merry Christmas to every member of the Fraser Valley Angling Guides Association and their families. It's been fabulous watching you people step up. Thanks for all you've done. And thanks for having us and uh, and bringing the awareness to the situation. Uh, people like you have obviously helped us uh, fish and, and people and the and the rescue efforts at the forefront so we appreciate that merry christmas kevin merry, merry christmas